Hey there, welcome to the Achievers Way podcast. My name is Isia Reitzema. The Achievers Way is a conversational podcast that chronicles the journey and sheds a spotlight on successful expatriates, successful business professionals of immigrant background. And so our guest today is Bim Aki Agumbiade. Bim has an established career spanning across Europe, spanning across West Africa and Central Africa. He has 31 years of experience and he focuses really on the interiors aspects of construction as well as general management and procurement. Let's jump right into the show. It promises to be absolutely amazing and there's a lot to learn. thumb is to save 20% of your income every month. That's a rule of thumb. So if you save that, and whether you have responsibilities at home or not, you need a rainy day money. If I earn £10,000, then you've got to live on £6,000. Number two, you have to invest. So when you save that £2,000, don't put it in just in the bank any 2%. So part of that money, you're going to have to invest. After a while, once you pile it up, either in shares, Hi, Bim. How are you doing today? Thank you for joining us. Hi, Isia. I'm pleased. Um, thanks for inviting me. Pleased to be here. It's my pleasure always. So I like to start by just jumping right in. I mean, you've had a really, really inspiring career, not just in Europe, but also back home in Africa, and not just in Africa, but in Western Central Africa. You've done quite a bit of things. Not only do you work back home in Nigeria, you work here. And you also lead a team of locals and internationals. And this episode is about picking your brain. It's about going into conversations with you to see how your journey has been, any challenges you may have faced, um, any insights that you've learned in the 30 plus years that you've been in business. And so my very first question is context-based. Can you give us some context into who you are, your background? and your early childhood. Okay, thank you, Isio. Uh, um, my name is Bimbo Aki Agumbiade. Everyone calls me Bim. And um, of course, I'm Nigerian who lives in the UK. And uh, my business is based in the UK. And um, we operate in several countries in West Africa and Central Africa. And uh, I was born in Lagos. I think I suspect it was 57 years ago by June. Yeah, quite a while ago. Yeah. And um, I grew up in Lagos. I studied in most of my, my primary secondary school in Lagos before I went to university in in Ife, the cradle of um, Yoruba land, as we all know. Yeah, I studied yeah. quantity survey. And um, from then, I, I, I did a year in Nigeria and then moved to the UK to do my chartered exams, to be a chartered surveyor. So that's really my background. I came here with the hope of, I did that, but I was hoping to get into a proper professional quantity surveying firm. But it transpired that I'd come too late. Of course, because uh, you normally apply when you're in uni, not when you're out of uni. It's a bit harder. Yes. Yeah. So I got there and I applied to, to do my, it's like an internship. You have to do a, a your diary. You have to work for a firm and fill a diary for over three years. It's very difficult. So you get no pay. Wow. So you have to do, requalify your exams because our degree was called a non-cognate degree, which means that it doesn't apply to syllabus. is not as good as, as the one in the UK. So you have to do a pre-exam. And once you've done that, then you do your start doing your professional exams, which is one year 
well, those who have graduated here, and it's three years for those who haven't. So that wasn't, you know, I had to do all that. But regardless, of course, I, I had to apply to all the quality surveying firms. I didn't get anyone, and none of them said yes. So, yeah. Wow. So I ended up in a curtain rolling specialist company, and that changed my life. That was the beginning of a totally wonderful, enjoyable path that I took. Even though I, I did qualify with the most difficult way to do it because I'm working for a specialist yeah. contractor who's German, not a British. Well, quality surveying is a British profession. So, yeah. so you can imagine the quality surveying activity in a German specialist company wasn't very much. So my boss helped me and tagged me with a professional firm where I can submit my diary with a CrossFit in the city, and the rest is history. And I qualified and everything. You talked about working for three years. In the three years you worked, were you paid? Yes, you get paid. It's a full job. You get a job. It's just that you have to feel your experience, and your experience will be balanced and wide enough. So when you work for a specialist, it's hard to have the wide experience to be able to qualify yeah. as a professional quality Just imagine if you're a professional lawyer, professional doctor, yeah. and your firm yeah. only does orthopedic surgeries. How are you going to be know about the general knowledge of the other parts of the body? So that's, that was the situation. So it's very hard. Ultimately, the Chartered Institute of Surveyors, they were allowed to change their perspective that you have contractors who want to be Chartered Surveyors and you have specialists who want to contract surveyors. But you still have to have a very rounded professional experience. So I had to be seconded to a couple of QS firms for my German specialized company. So I was getting paid, yes. How long did you work with this company and what was the journey from that company to Decimal UK Limited? Well, I started off, well, that's fine. I started off as a, I mean, the company was called Gartner. I mean, Gartner, Joseph Gartner, is a, it was the biggest curtain rolling company in the world. I don't know if you know what curtain rolling is, the glass facades you see yeah. built. Okay? Yeah. yeah. And they were number one in the world. I didn't know that when I joined them. I told them we were a little, little firm who did nothing. But, and from there, I, I started as an assistant surveyor, or a graduate surveyor, I don't know, I can't remember the exact name it was called then. And then I progressed to become a contract surveyor, which means I, I managed my own contracts. I was there for six years. I did a lot of fascinating jobs. I couldn't have dreamt of when I was back in Nigeria. Most of the jobs were done by top architects. I worked on the Lloyds of London. I worked on uh, a job called Fenchel Street, Embankment Building, Embankment Station. These were architects, buildings designed by Salomon Foster, Richard Rogers. It was incredible for me. I mean, with very little experience. I was only a 23, 24-year-old kid. You know, but I stayed there for six years. And then from there, I I moved to Panastelisa, which is a company in the same industry, in the curtain rolling industry, who are probably second biggest or the third biggest. Why did I move? It was a crisis just like you have now. It was a financial crisis and we were laid off. And within six months, I was somewhere else, one of my competitors. You know, And um, that, in truth, uh, Gartner laid the foundation for me in terms of the curtain rolling industry, German discipline, German, German efficiency. And it changed my perspective of how you work, what you, how you perceive your work and, and also understand how you think outside the box without losing your discipline and your efficiency. When I joined Thomas Lisa, it's an Italian firm, which had a Dutch arm, Australian arm. It was more, I mean, Gartner was global, but Gartner was German center, was the center of it. The Italians, the yeah. Italian Thomas Lisa had Italy was center of it, but they had a Sydney office. They had a, a, a Dutch arm, not called, it was called Schelderbau. It is Dutch arm. And they had a, a French arm. They had, it was quite wide. I joined the company 
at the most senior level, and then I was a commercial manager after a few years, and I was there for, I think, almost nine years. And from when I joined them, we did so many incredible jobs. I mean, one of my biggest clients was Canary Wharf. So my old buddies joined me. Yes, and so, yeah, so it was a quite a fascinating journey. I enjoyed it. And towards the end of the, my journey there, I moved from, the, from being the head of the QS's commercial manager to become the general manager, the CEO of the interiors. Because how did that happen, which is the reason why I ended up in Nigeria. Um, I was sitting in my office and working as my normal commercial management for Curtin Walling. And this young kid from Nigeria walked into the office. He says, what's looking for me? And I said, well, who looks for me? Is it a project? No, just a visitor. I don't have visitors in the office, so I didn't want to see him. So in the end, I saw him and he spoke to me about the Zenith Bank, this project in Nigeria, the Zenith Bank headquarters. And I said to him, you know, it's too small. We don't do such little jobs in in the UK. Never mind in Nigeria. I can't convince my boss. You know, that's not going to happen. Yeah. He was very insistent. And he said he brought my brother. I told him to come and I would do it. In the end, he convinced me. I convinced my boss. I went on a flight to Nigeria to talk about Zenith Bank. And the, it was a very small job. In the end, we didn't take the job. But I met a couple of architects, you know, top architects in Nigeria, a couple of them who also acted for the job. I'm leaving their names out because maybe they don't want to get mentioned. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But um, it was, I'll tell you, it was ACCL, the architects. And then I met them and, you know, we ended up doing a couple of uh, interior jobs, Thomas Lisa, in Nigeria. This was Bond Bank. I don't know if you remember Bond Bank in Nigeria. We did the interiors. It was owned by, this be, it's now not called Sky Bank, isn't it? Bond Bank. We were out on, on the Akiadishwala. So we did, we did the interiors in, in Abuja. We did the counters, the petitions, the, and all that. So that gave me a taste of the interior arm because we've always had the conversation interiors, but I, I just used to do their commercial work. I didn't really do a lot of, didn't get too involved. So when we did that, that gave me a taste of it. And we got more projects, a couple more branches. And that led to me being moved to become CEO of the Conversation Interiors in the UK. Not because of Nigeria arm only, because I was getting more and more involved in, in the UK also. But I know a lot of, I know a lot of people in the industry at the top end and married with the opportunity that is available in Nigeria and, um, and obviously bring my own, add my own, add some value in an emerging market. Nigeria was, this was about in 2003, 2004. And Nigeria was really booming. So what did I do? I started doing the work as you all do on the side while doing the work. My, I didn't hide it from my boss. He told me then that, look, I'm not going to set up a company in Nigeria. You, I supply here, and you set up your company in Nigeria to fix it. Mm -hmm. so we started with a company locally that I'm part of till now to, to fix the work. It didn't really work. It was difficult because they didn't really know as well as I know. Yeah. So in, inevitably, I set up, I left the company, my company, and set up Desmo with an Italian partner of mine. Okay, we were both work for Plus Lisa. So we started the company, and initially, we actually started not with what Thomas Lisa were doing in banks. We started with a Genesis quick service restaurant. The, the Genesis you see in Lagos, I don't know if you've seen the one. Yeah. We yeah. started in Port Harcourt. The first one was in Port Harcourt. We did a bit fitter. That was the first job for Desmo. And our original name was Black Forest Properties, which I bought off the shelf. That was the first name. <laughs> I just walked from my okay. kitchen. And in the end, we set up Desmo, which means design movement. And um, that's it. And we started the company. I think you just condensed about two decades worth of work. 
in just a few minutes. That's right. How long was the span? Was it up to 20 years? And where? In, me working for others? That's your journey from the very first company to now. Oh, to now? Oh, wow. No, it's more than that. It's um, 30 years? 25? 23 years. 23. Oh, that's really good. 33 years, yeah. 33 years. Yeah, 33 years. That's amazing. What would you say if a young person who is now at some kind of crossroads wants to make a decision, having been an employee yourself who has worked in some companies under amazing leadership, having set up your own company and being a leader of people, what would you advise them to look out for if they wanted to join a company? Should they choose between Great leadership or a company with a great reputation or compensation? What would you advise? It depends on your profession also, obviously. Mm-hmm. So, But as a general advice, I mean, I always say that you should always go to a company that fulfills your own trajectory, where you're trying to go. If you're trying to be a lawyer, for example, a, a chartered lawyer, maybe law is a bit complex. If you're trying to set up your own business in future in an industry, I don't know, making batteries, okay? And you work for a company that makes batteries, and you have the offer from that company for ten thousand pounds, and then yeah. another company that don't make batteries offer you twenty thousand pounds. Yeah. You may say that I'll take that ten thousand pounds because I need to learn how to make batteries. Yeah. The reward after this, what I'm earning now. The reverse is that you may say, "Look, I already know what I want to do, so what I need is to be able to save money as yeah. a little investment to start my business. So I take more money. I'm not going to a battery company. Yeah. So." It's always, what's most important thing, when you get a job, always think that that job fulfills a need presently, but it's also part of your need going forward. So it's, it's not easy when you're young because you just want to pay your bills, which is normal. Yeah. But yeah. if you're trying to be a charter surveyor or a, a qualified lawyer or a doctor, you better have worked in a company that can fulfill that dream and help you get there. I mean, as I explained to you when I was, when I came here, I tried to get into chartered firms. Because I, I came too late to apply for it, I didn't get any job. So I had to go the hardest route. I went to specialist. I got there in the end. But some people may go that route and give up becoming China surveyors. And say, look, this is just too hard. I'm not doing that route. And there's nothing wrong with that because it is hard. And inevitably, I knew that when I became chartered, I'm not going to set up a, ch- a chartered firm. I'm not going to be a professional quality surveyor. I'm not going to be that. Yeah. So that's my advice to any person. Always think of your present need. That is really, really, really good advice. I think I would always remember that. So think about what you need now and think about where you're going and make the right choice based on those two things. Let's talk a little bit about you and your time in business. I'm really curious, has there been a particular failure in business that you always remember that ended up teaching you something good? Yeah, I mean, I think... Not only in business, in life, we all have things you mistakes you make, and then you know. But in terms of business, well, uh, there are probably three things. You know, sometimes you don't cut your loss early enough. You think it's going to work when clearly it's not working, yeah. yeah. And then you you lose a lot more money than you need to lose. So that's one one part. The biggest one is not not taking enough risk. So sometimes you see the guys who get most rewarded nine times out of ten take the most risk. So the more risk you take. I mean, obviously, these are considered risks, not just, I'm not talking about buying 10 lottery tickets. That's not what I mean. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> what I mean. So the more, the more risk you take, I mean, it's more likely you'll get a better reward. So I would say some of the mistakes I've made in my own business career 
is not probably at some different stages of my business, uh, I didn't take enough risk. If, you know, and sometimes and then by the time you want to take it, the opportunity is gone. It's there, but the reward is no longer there. And the last thing is, when you mix your character sometimes with your business and you trust too much, especially in a very difficult market like Nigeria or Ghana, Nigeria more so, you trust too much, you can get hurt because people don't have the same level of discipline or the same level of trust or the environment doesn't, doesn't create that level of trust that one is used to working in Europe. So those three things are, yes, they're real failures. When you still think about the ones that you consider painful, does it still tug at your heart or are you... Yeah, yeah, it, it does. It's a one, one or two, it do, but hang on to something too much, you weigh you down. So yeah. you just have to move on. But yes, sometimes you look back and sometimes those things flash in front of you when yeah. similar things happen or you meet the person who, who failed you or who or meet the company that failed yeah. you. Yeah, that can be tough. How do you recognize when it's a good time to walk away? Um, it's difficult. I think uh, sometimes it depends on each individual or each company. Sometimes it's intuition, of course. If you're a small company, I mean, we're not a very big company. Sometimes you you take advice, you know, from specialists or from your accountant or your lawyer and say, look, look into this thing, and or your staff, you know, you look into this thing and let me know, you know, look at the numbers. Look at the uh, market itself. So, for example, I had a, I was working in the Ghanaian market, okay, and um, this was in the, in the maybe 2006, 2007, and we're doing we had a couple of projects. We're doing exceptionally well. Yeah. Had one or two issues, and then it was handled very well. We lost a bit of money, but we, we dealt with it. And then because of that, whilst I was doing that, business started growing a lot more in Nigeria, and because of that small experience. That bitter taste that happened in Ghana and Nigeria booming. We started doing more in Nigeria and sort of left Ghana on its own. Now, when Nigeria started going down, Ghana starts to pick up. We start to go back there, but the market's changed. It's now harder to get back in because people have yeah. changed their habits. People have found other sources of what we were, what we were doing. So yeah. that was a mistake because the fact that we didn't have the, um, the stomach or the, the, to take the risk and stay in the market. Yeah. I say, look, to be in two, two places at the same time and continue to to grow the market. But instead, we took what was happening in Nigeria. It's booming, yeah? And why, yeah. why not? So that was a mistake because that was an opportunity to expand. Because the, yeah. the Americans have a saying, which I, I learned as my guide, it said, be small at home, but big abroad. Be small at home, but big abroad. That's what Coca-Cola is. That's what Apple is. That's what they're bigger abroad than at home. That is true, actually. I never thought about that. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna write that somewhere <laughs> yeah. and remind myself of it. The small at home or bigger abroad. Another question for you would be about wealth creation. Right. This is a topic that is especially important to me because I believe that being able to create wealth gives you some kind of control over your own life and your own time. And it's just a smart thing to do because the future is ever-changing and you can find yourself at any place at any time. And it's also a responsible way of living. What would you advise, say, a young immigrant who has finally come abroad but is burdened with taking care of huge responsibilities back home Mm -hmm. but also realizes that they need to create some kind of wealth for themselves in order to live 
decently abroad. Mm-hmm. How do they balance that, knowing our culture? I think it's challenging but doable. I think um, one, you have to, whatever you do, whatever you earn, you must save. If that saving is five percent, whatever it is, you must save. The, the, the rule of thumb is to save twenty percent of your income every month. That's a rule of thumb. So if you save that, and whether you have responsibility at home or not, you need a rainy day money. If I earn ten thousand pounds, then you got to live on six thousand pounds, two thousand pounds for all your problems at home, and two thousand. <laughs> and if you have no problems and two thousand pounds, so be it. You got to you got to save. That's number one. Number two, you have to invest. So when you save that £2,000, don't put it in just in the bank, any 2%. So part of that money, you're going to have to invest. After a while, once you pile it up, either in shares, I suggest mostly property, because when you're younger, you, know, you have the energy. You can do two jobs. You, are, you, can, you can really fight. Right? Because what you do when you're younger is what looks after you, yeah, as you get older. Not a lot of money you retire, but they give you, that's number two. You have to be ready to change jobs regularly to earn more if you earn more income and make yourself more employable. So that means more qualifications. That means doing it, being more professional, setting up, setting up your own business. Whatever you need, you need to do to increase your marketability, to earn more. Because ultimately, as the saying by Warren Buffett, right? He says that if you don't earn money when you're sleeping, you walk till you die. That is true and very scary. So the earlier you face, you discipline yourself to save and make your money earn, even when you're not working, then the, the more likely you'll be able to create wealth at an early age and wealth will look after you when you can't work anymore. But the most important is save, 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 invest. And change your narrative regularly and more regularly. Change jobs every two years. You've got to be upward and mobile. I agree. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you for sharing. I have another question for you, which is, what do you look out for in choosing business partners or alliances across borders? So how do you choose your partners? When you say business partners, you mean my suppliers or do you mean people? Your suppliers, people you work with, people you entrust your business with. Employer? I mean, first things first is what they know. What do they bring to the table? So if it's a supplier and I want to supply tiles for a project, then I want to know their reputation, the quality of their tiles, how innovative they are, how reliable they are. So a supplier yeah. for me, I always tell all my suppliers, most of my suppliers from Spain and Italy, I tell them, I know the value of my supplier and how good my supplier is in yeah. a crisis when something goes wrong. Every supplier is good when everything's hunky-dory. Right? <laughs> so if I pay your money and you supply what you're supposed to do and everything goes well, the supplier is good. Okay? Yeah. When the things go wrong and the supplier leaves you on your own, even, even if they've screwed up, then, then you know that that's not a good supplier. So yeah. we bring to the table. Now, in terms of people and suppliers, I like, I think I look for evidence of hard work. And um, trust is also important. I mean, trust the person to do what they say and do what they're expected to do. I'm not talking about character trust. Yeah. That's a different thing. So if you're a company and you say, listen, uh, Bim, I'm going to finish this thing next week and be ready. If you don't finish in the week and you say to me for that week, listen, I'm going to miss it by a day and you, you miss it by only a day, I can trust you. If you miss it, if you're going to miss it and you say nothing, I won't trust you. But you are both finished on the same day. Yeah. 
There's a difference, yeah? yeah? So, and then if that person or that company or that partner believes in the dream, so in my dream, so if I believe in a market like Nigeria, I want to export there, and my supplier doesn't, or the person working with me doesn't, we're not aligned because yeah. when the challenges come with that market, they're going to falter. But if you believe in the dream, you go the extra to make it happen. I can see that. Yeah. I have another question for you, and it's where do you stand on the argument of follow your passion or do what you need to survive and pay the bills? I think you follow your passion. Follow your passion. But how is that? But 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 don't forget the bills. So how does this work? Well, I mean, if you follow your passion, then you are motivated. You put the, you go the extra mile to do the work. But that doesn't mean you should live on the streets while doing it. If you don't pay your bills, you live on the streets. That's the truth, isn't it? Yeah? But if your passion involves living on the street, then your bills just to get something to eat. So follow your passion is very important because if you fail, then you can, you know, you know, people, we always assume in life that not trying is not failure. So if I'm practicing, um, I want to be an Olympic champion. I want to run the Olympics and I then ever run. I want to be in athletics and I, I don't ever go to the stadium to practice. To I don't have a coach. I didn't try. I don't feel I failed. It's not everybody that won gold in Olympics that became, I mean, are successful by winning the gold. But how many pundits do you see on television on become artists, become politicians, successful, who are formal athletes? Not all of them were gold medalists. Yeah. I often see sometimes that when there's a competition, the people or the person who ends up doing let's say, the best in life or shining so much brighter is not always the person who came first in that particular thing. Exactly. It may have been a runner-up or something. Something about going after that goal and maybe putting in the effort or being so close to winning and losing does something and then they just go on and just dominate in the world and really shine. Yeah, you get your reward. You know, they they always say that the harder you work, the luckier you get. I think that's Warren Buffett does. I'm not sure. Don't quote me. It's not my, I didn't, these are not my words. I'm quoting somebody. He said, I think the harder I walk, the luckier I get. And that's what the, um, either Warren Buffett or, or the guy who owns, um, G, um, what's the name? What's the name of the company? G, the big American company. It starts with a G. I've forgotten his name, but he said that. I think he said, I noticed that the harder I walk, the luckier I got. I'm going to remember that. I'm thinking and I'm just thinking where I'm going to write it. We have a tradition on the show, where we go to the quiz section and we ask you two questions. Okay. And you should answer with one word or the first word that comes to your mind. So I'm going to start with the quiz questions. Okay. What is one word that describes your personal philosophy at this stage of your life? You are not too happy. Oh, one word. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, Well, happiness. Happiness. What is one word that your closest friends or family would use to describe you? I think I want that. <laughs> I think um, reliable. Reliable. Perfect. And the third question is from the last guest, Dr. Jemeke Adego. And she asks you, if you could change something about yourself, what would it be? And on a serious note, Yes. Play better golf. <laughs> but on a more serious note, um, I would say um, take more risks. Take more risks. 
You would like to be someone who takes the smallest And now you have the honor of asking the next guest any question that comes to your mind. What will you do to make a difference to the world at the moment? Oh, that is perfect. I'm sure he would love this question. Bim, thank you so much. It's been really great, really insightful, really wise talking to you. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you very much for inviting me. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Hi guys, it's It's Your Right Summer here. I want to thank you so much for watching because if you're here and you're seeing this, it means you watch the show all the way to the end and you have my thanks. If you like the content, if you thought it was helpful to you or to somebody else, please don't forget to like, comment and subscribe and also to share it amongst other people that could benefit from it. We're a really young channel and we're really hoping to grow and attract other expatriates, other international business professionals, other immigrants who are thriving in business and dominating globally. We're trying to attract them to come on the show and share their experiences, their knowledge, their wisdom that can be helpful for others who share a similar context to them. So until next time, enjoy yourself, enjoy your life, enjoy your work.